All right, good morning. <laughs> I'm going to hold this little mic like uh, we're on the Price is Right together. I actually am just going to use a handheld mic because uh, there was a malfunction and I have any kind of technology I should not be interested with. And Thank you. Welcome to Redemption. Good morning. My name's Dave, and I'm one of the pastors here at Redemption, and uh, I'm glad you're here and glad we can be in here together, a space where we just illustrated and embrace the good news that we take God seriously, but not ourselves. And um, on that note, because I need company, I want to let you all know that um, we were asked, someone just came over here from another uh, a house nearby on 13th over there. And um, they said that there's a bright blue Ford Focus blocking a driveway. So we'll all close our eyes for a minute. And if it's you, you can run out. No, no shame uh, at all. But there we go. And um, there you go. So run over there, move the car, and be back uh, soon. So good. It looks like we have our winner. So I'll, uh, I'll go ahead and um, we'll get into our time here together. Uh, I'll just briefly say, keep the ranked opponents coming, huh? Like, let's do this. Three in a row. Next, next, next. Colorado's not ranked, and they are next. But uh, anyway, we won't talk about all that. So my name is Dave, and I'm one of the pastors here at Redemption Tucson. And uh, I want to let you know if you're new or you've never heard me preach before, one, I was, again, we want to say welcome. We're very glad that you're here. And we do want to, um, I want to let you know that I have a stutter It'll kind of come in and out as I preach, and I don't want that to distract you from the most important thing, which is God's Word. And we love to preach through books of the Bible, and we believe that God speaks to us and shapes us as we submit individually and collectively to His truth. And so with that, uh, we're going to continue in our series through Revelation, which has uh, a lot going on with it. So uh, will you turn with me to chapter 15? We'll be in chapters 15 and 16 together. And uh, if you don't have a copy of God's Word with you and you would like one, which I would encourage, would you please hold your hand up high and keep it up and somebody will be sure to get you one. And if you don't own one, this is our gift to you. We would love for everyone to have a Bible that they can read and follow along with. And um, if you prefer one in Spanish, we have those as well. Um, simply just ask for one in Spanish. And so uh, let me go ahead and pray for us, all right, as we get into our, our time together. The, the title of this one is Seven Bowls of Judgment. All right, let me pray, and uh, we'll get into our time together. Lord, we thank you for this time, for this morning where we can come together from all different places, from different walks of life and different things we have going on, and we um, ask that you will speak to us. Lord, uh, even though uh, we are easily distracted, uh, as evidence for my microphone being uh, messed up, um, Lord, we just pray that you will speak into, enter into our lives, Lord, reveal what is true. What are we missing? What do we need to know uh, about who you are and who we are and what it means to be created in your image? In Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. Well, a number of years ago, my wife and I were watching a 
pirated movie. And uh, we won't get into all the details behind that, but we had spent a summer in a country. Many of you have been to this country and uh, where you could buy lots of things just all over the place and you didn't know what was legit, what wasn't. Uh, you just kind of bought what you had and you brought home. And this is back when you watched movies on these little circular devices called DVDs. And you put them into a machine, they, they would then work. Smaller than what came before them and before that even. And so these, uh, but anyway, some of you who've just grown up with streaming, this was way before any of that was happening. And so anyway, we bought a DVD and we came back here to the States a number of months afterward, and we were watching this movie with a friend of ours who loved the movie, said it was so great, was excited to watch it with us, and we're watching the movie, and about halfway through, he just goes, wait, 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 stop. Like, this just skipped a huge part of the movie, like one of the most important parts of the movie. And this was a movie, If um, it's called The Prestige, if you've ever seen that. And it's the type of movie similar to like Pulp Fiction or other types that kind of pop in and out. It's not a linear telling of the story. It's one that will kind of all make sense if you're like have an advanced degree. They almost never all make sense to me. But to some people, they all make sense by the end of the movie. And um, but but it doesn't necessarily take you like in a chronological time order. And this movie is like that. You're kind of getting little windows into reality throughout the time. But again, by the end, it all makes sense. Well, in this case, it was like this, the whole point of the movie was in the middle of it and just happened to not be there. Because again, it was a pirated movie and, uh, and that will happen. And so um, this, as we walk through Revelation and have been for a number of weeks, we've made a point to acknowledge that it's not written to us in a linear matter. It's not like a historical book that will tell you then this happened at this date and then this happened at this date and this will happen at this date and things like that. That it is what is referred to as a uh, apocalyptic literature, which has a point. It has a purpose. But um, this is a, a slide that I want us to understand where we are in the story. Because again, if you just miss parts, then you can be confused and wonder, what's the point? What am I supposed to get about this? What am I supposed to know? So this is something we've shown a number of times. And while Revelation is not linear, it's not written in chronological order. In fact, what we're in today, these seven bowls of judgment have shown up uh, twice before in as seven seals and seven trumpets and now seven bowls. And so it's speaking about the same thing, but in different windows. However, we are walking through a grand story, okay, about a, a, a projection. And this, as you see, is um, where we are today is we'll be crossing from one time period into another. And as has been the case, we, there are times in there where it'll kind of be a flashback or a flash forward or something like that, right? Well, we're about to transition from this end time period, which we're in right now, currently, uh, this time is the time that Jesus, when Jesus ascended to the right hand of God's throne, that's what that upward arrow means, right? He died, then he rose from the dead. He ascended to the right hand of God and said, I'll, I'll be back. And now is this era, the end time period or the church uh, era. And then Jesus will return again. 
And all these events will happen when Jesus returns. And that's what up here is referred to as the end of history. So that's what we're entering into today, okay? When, as we now go chapter 15, chapter 16. So I want us to understand where we are in the story. Now, another thing I just want to acknowledge, because even in my own RC, which means like small group, uh, basically it's a redemption community. Sorry, it doesn't mean small group, right? You're like RC, how does that connect? Redemption community, which a Bible study, a community group, small group. So in there, there's, this often comes up where the idea is, oh, like Keith and Marcus and sometimes Dave, you guys are so wise and so smart, and I'm glad we have you to kind of unlock your incredible wisdom and download that on all of us. We would never be able to understand a book like this outside of your incredible wisdom, right? Does, do you guys say that a lot? Um, no, but the, still we can operate with that idea, and I just want to make it really clear that that is never needed to read and understand God's word. Like the most important thing we can do is all of us need to come humbly and acknowledge the questions that we have and ask those questions. And now in God's incredible goodness, we have some places where we can go to dig in and look in those questions. First, we should always start with scripture. We spend time in his word. We understand more of what he's saying. And if we read through the Bible, sometimes you don't always have to do this. But in the course of a year, you read through the Bible. And then you might, after years and years and years, acknowledge when you read Revelation that a lot of it is like a huge chunk chunk of it is like quoting Old Testament passages, and you would connect some dots there and dig in, and then you ask your friend who's also done that, no, what did you notice, and what did I notice? And then beyond all that, you can do things like listen to other, you know, podcasts, or listen, or buy some, like, study Bibles, or commentaries, or, um, you know, and then come to church, corporate worship, and learn and listen together. So I just want to, like, remove because it can be an out. It, one, it can like boost us up and we don't need any of that, right? It could like give us this idea, make our heads big and think we're more important than we are. But it can also like be an out for all of us, you know, out there and be like, oh, I don't need to know. I'll just come and listen. Let someone else tell me. So that is not, especially with a book like this, just that is not the case. Okay, so we're, we're asking a lot of questions together. So one of those is what are we reading, right? You, if you are honest and you read through Revelation, you think that some point, like, what am I even reading? Like, what is this? What is this? And again, this is apocalyptic literature, which has a purpose. It's meant to reveal something to us, to stoke our imaginations. And so um, let me share a, a, a quote that I, I um, came across that, that says this, that the purpose of apocalyptic literature, again, is to provoke a response through the use of imagery. Okay, imagery has the power to hook us deep inside. Images can quickly and effectively convey that which we struggle to put into words. Imagery goes beyond the intellect, through the emotions, and into the imagination. Grab hold of us at the deepest recesses of our being. So again, that's what the whole purpose, that's what's happening here is this imagery, like we talked about last week, right? The, the, the sermon title last week was Singing Virgins, Preaching Angels, and the Great Harvest, 
right? That, even if we talked about in our small group, like the point is not like, oh, so, right? We kind of joked about it. Only like men who have good voices and are virgins and have tattoos on their forehead get to be a part of this special group that Jesus is going to bring along with him. Like, no, that is not the point. Each of those words is, again, to stoke imagery. And so similarly, as we get into our time together, imagery, what is God revealing to us? What does he want to bring? What kind of response does he want for you and for me and for us through this use of imagery together? So with our imaginations ready, right? Are you with me? We all got sharp minds? No, I don't either, but we're still going right, to try to press into our imagery together. In verse 1 of chapter 16, so again, because we're going to start in 16, and then it'll kind of make some sense as we circle back to chapter 15 at the end. But beginning in chapter 16, verse 1, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. All right, it's time for us to wake up and get our attention ready, right? Our imagery going. Thank you for that reminder. Well, these seven bowls, again, they've shown up in different ways and had different purposes of where we came across them in the book, right? We had, again, seven seals and then seven trumpets, and now we're at seven bowls. It's the same idea, but speaking into something specific, and this is specifically God's wrath, as we just read. These seven bowls of God's wrath that are poured out. So these are the seven judgments. Let's, this is what we're going to walk through. You can see up there on the screen if we have them. Um, thank you. So right there, right? We'll walk through these together. Painful sores, the sea turning to blood, rivers and springs turning to blood, the sun scorching, the throne of the beast being demolished, a river drying up, and then the air being affected, and there being all kinds of storms and different natural disasters all throughout. And so as you can see there, if you're taking notes, those are how we're going to walk through these bowls. We're not going to hunker down in any one of them, probably as much as like we might want to, but we're going um, to just get the big idea, but still look at these. As we look at now, when Jesus returns and, and God's wrath is poured out on, on, on the rebellious creation, on those who have, who have turned the, their backs on, 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 on our creator. This is what will happen, okay? What we'll see. The first three of those bowls are in uh, verses two through four, right? The first three, so you can see they're painful sores, bloody sea, bloody rivers and springs. Let me read chapter 16, verses two through four. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth and harmful and painful sores came up upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshiped his image. So those who align with this beast, okay, you have the, the, you have the creator, you have the, the Messiah, Jesus, the king, the lion, and the lamb. Again, important imagery. 
to explain the historical real figure of Jesus, right? The king and those who have his mark, those who identify with him. We talked about that a lot last week, the mark of the lamb, okay? Those who, who belong to Jesus. Well, those who, who, who continue to rebel and to be offended by him and want to be aligned with something else and we think we're autonomous, we think we just align with ourselves and we are just true to ourselves, but the, the message of, Bible, of the Bible is no, there's no neutral ground. You either belong to to your creator who laid down his life for you and loves you and you identify with him, you are marked by him or you identify with the beast, with Satan and his kingdom. And so this says that there will be painful sores. And then verse three, the second angel poured out his bowl into the sea and it became like the blood of a corpse and every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water and they became blood. So there's judgment on the entire created world, on the earth, the ocean, the seas, the springs, that because of rebellious humanity. Let me just say this, okay? Can we not all agree that when we make decisions, it impacts others, right? Well, as humanity, God created us in his image, and he said, it is very good. He said, it is good that there are people, women and men, who reflect me in all that they do. And similarly to parents, roommates, friends, when we make decisions, it impacts others, especially those who are dependent on us. And so with creation, God gave us his creation to steward, all right, to, 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 to have dominion over, but not dominion and authority to abuse, but to, 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 to reflect how God would treat it. So when we rebel against God, it impacts all of creation, Everything, animals, the earth, the water, the seas, all these different things. And let's also just acknowledge these are things that we just take for granted. That we're like, oh, whatever, it just doesn't matter. And things that we just count on, God says, I'm in charge of that. You, you, even though you don't acknowledge that the seas are mine and that I have authority and control over them, I do. Let me show you. Oh, the springs of water, you know, you just assume Arrowhead, you know, water company owns them or whatever. And I was like, no, I own the springs, the water, things that you drink, all this. I am in control. And it all comes out in this judgment, this pouring out of God's wrath. And then there's a break, all right? We're going to get to the others in a moment, but there's a break. I like to call it a per praise break. Anyone ever grew up in a more charismatic church knows what that is, and one day we'll get there, we just stand up, sometimes in the middle of the sermon, and then I'll go up here and just be able to play the keys, or I'll ask Aaron to come up and play the keys, and then we break into a time of worship. Well, that's what actually happens here, but it's in the heavenlies. There's this angelic praise break all of a sudden, and the people who have followed Jesus faithfully and died while faithfully following him, they're a part of this great worship scene that we've, we've looked at throughout our time. And then again, so again, it's not this order of events that's going to happen. All of a sudden now there's a window into this worship scene that's happening. But look what they're saying um, down in verse 5. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, 
Now he's like proclaiming truths to God and about God. Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was, okay, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who always is, the eternal God, for you brought these judgments. Kind of blows up our like grandfather figure with caramels in his pocket who never really does anything of consequence. All right, that's not God. Verse six, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. Again, we press into this a lot last week, but I actually heard a quote this week that I think is so helpful, and I don't have it up here on the screen. It's, it's, a, it's a short one. God makes all things right before he makes all things new. All right, in the end, Jesus will return. We'll see when we get to chapter 21 in a few weeks that Jesus is on the throne. All right, and he's again authoritatively, powerfully declaring this really good news. All right, if you and I have suffered, if you've lost a loved one, if you have any kind of physical ailment, if you just acknowledge, as Keith did and Jenny did earlier and at the beginning of our time of worship, things aren't the way they should be. Well, the good news is things won't always be the way they are. One day when Jesus makes all things new, that will be such good news for those who follow him, for those who have trusted in him, for those who align with him. But the reality of where we are now is things need to be made right. And again, in our world, I just want to acknowledge, not all of us, but many of us who haven't suffered some form of injustice or loss, Right? As simple as, I'm not going to take a showing of hands, but if you've ever had like your car or your house broken into or something like that, like you, it just, it feels so wrong. And this author and theologian Miroslav Volf, um, as I, I mentioned last week, talks about people who suffered at the hands of like genocide who lost children and loved ones and just all kinds of harm that, that our place of just being like, oh, God would never judge evil, like is a very privileged and kind of comfortable thing to be able to say. But when you've seen and experienced evil, God has to deal with it if he's good. So before he makes all things new, he makes all things right. He deals with evil and injustice. Praise God. So that's this quick praise break. But then now we dive right back into, because, right, we're gluttons for punishment. We want more of this. What's next? What's the fourth and fifth bowl of God's wrath? Thank you for asking. It's the scorching sun and the demolished throne. And I'm not going to, that's in like verses um, 8 through 11 there of chapter 16. We see those. But the earth is, 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 the sun is scorching heat. So in other places, you see God's authority over the sun because it's gets like blocked out. It gets blacked out. And God's like, you think the sun is always, right? Here in, here in Tucson, like we know this, right? It's like the sun is ever present. And so sometimes God blocks it out as we see this imagery to show, no, even that is not relentless, all right, but in this case, what he actually does is just, he, it's like God is in his kindness, is like holding back the full power of the sun. And he pulls it back and it's all of its power and it scorches. 
Again, things we just take for granted. Oh, I'll just go find some shade, put some sunscreen on, whatever, drink some lemonade, go into my AC, well, whatever it is. No, God, just he, he exercises his wrath and his authority that the sun is scorching. And then again, all those who align with him experience that this, this, is, this is so painful. But the imagery there too is it's connected. The fourth and fifth bowls, because the throne of this great beast that we think has this imagery that it has so much power in it, right? Satan is terrifying. He's like a dragon. This isn't saying, oh, he is a dragon. Again, the imagery, like what's really terrifying? A dragon. Well, oh no, I saw like how to train a dragon. They're not all that terrifying, right? And, and I'm sure that's what these people were saying 2,000 years ago. Like, I, no, that's not so bad. Oh, well, let me make it even more terrifying. It has a ton of heads. And some of them, those heads have heads. And then they have horns that talk and throw. And it's like, okay, okay, enough. Like, uncle, that's terrifying. And this image is like, yeah, that's the beast that, that is opposed to the creator, that is opposed to, to Jesus. And then, though, in this one foul swoop, he just wipes out this throne, and the throne is de demolished. Now, let me pause, though, there for a moment and acknowledge that as God is talking about his wrath, even in this moment, the whole purpose, again, is to elicit a response from us. Well, what should I do? The message in the Bible is that even without the preaching of God's word, even without, the, even without opening the Bible, we have enough information in the world, according, according to books like, or passages like Romans 1 verse 20, that we are actually, we have enough information to be justified, for God to be justified in pouring out his wrath, for us to be judged that we look around and even just because we're humans and we look and see God's, his fingerprints are all throughout creation. It's not enough to lead us to faith in Jesus, but it's enough to acknowledge us that we are rebelling against our creator. Even if we don't, we don't say it, we, we, in our deepest core, scripture says, we are, are, are susceptible. We are vulnerable to God's judgment. Now, let me share a quote to help us understand this purpose as we continue to walk through Revelation together. It's a fairly long quote, but stick with me. It's, it's a good one. I think the very first sermon that we preached in this series, I shared it. I am patiently leaving. Now, this is God speaking, okay? Like through Revelation. This is what he's saying to his people. This is what he's saying to us. I am patiently leaving the nations to bear the consequences of their idolatry. Right? Why, God? Why do you allow this to happen? Why are you doing this? Why, why are you allowing? You could stop this. I am patiently leaving the nations to bear the consequences of their idolatry. That's walking away of, of life lived apart from God. So they might see that things are not the way they're supposed to be. And turn to me. But sadly, that won't bring repentance. 
right? Hopefully we get to a point where you just, you acknowledge this isn't supposed to be this way. Some of you know this story that I've shared very briefly. Sorry to pause mid-quote, but I think it will help, right? Just to acknowledge things aren't the way they're supposed to be. When my second oldest brother, I have a bunch of older siblings. Well, my second oldest brother was born without arms in the late 1960s, and it was before ultrasounds or things like that. And so it was just when he was born with no arms, the nurse like fainted and other people freaked out and it was just chaos. And once it finally, everyone was calmed and my brother was like swaddled in his blanket, which let's be honest, is a lot easier to swaddle a baby with no arms, right? I'm his younger brother, so I can kind of throw shade like that at him. Well, he gets swaddled. My mom's holding him and things like that. And so my dad walks out, who's not a Christian at all, has no interest in, in, in God or things like that, walks out of the hospital, just overwhelmed. This is now his second son. And he's like, what am I going to do? Well, he flips off heaven. All right, he doesn't even believe in God. But like instinctively, deep down, maybe subconsciously knows enough that someone's in charge. And, 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 and if there is someone in charge, he's either not good or he's not powerful. So either way, I'm going to flip him off because this isn't the way it's supposed to be. Like, how am I going to play catch with this son? Right, let me acknowledge to actually my dad and my brother both uh, passed away in the last few years and they actually did get to play catch in different ways. My brother, you know, used to throw me pot flies with baseball. He'd put it on his foot and he actually taught me how to drive. And, um, but, but they both, thankfully, too, in different parts in their lives, the dots began to connect. Okay, but not just because they looked and said, oh, there's, oh, look at that pretty butterfly. Well, oh, maybe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I should put my trust in him, right? That's not how it works. There's enough to know uh, I'm separated. But then, but then what? All right, so now pick up, right? End of that break. Lots of breaks. Praise break, story break. Okay, right there. That won't bring repentance. Only your follower of Jesus, church, Redemption Tucson. Only your faithful witness in lives and words can awaken them from the binding spell of idolatry. And I will rouse and liberate many from their enchanted captivity by your faithful witness. But don't be discouraged when it is difficult. And is it not difficult? The final judgment is coming when I will destroy all that opposes my rule. Then I will restore the whole creation and you will share in that renewal. That's good news. And it's also a sobering reality, somehow connected to God's judgment. As we keep going, the sixth bowl is poured out in verses 12 through 16. And um, this is where, if you've heard of this, this is where Armageddon is mentioned. Anyone ever seen that movie, right? Bruce Willis. Um, uh, my wife's laughing because she had a she had that poster in her wall in Kaibab Wachuca dorm her freshman year, right? Had nothing to do with Ben Affleck or anything like that, no. But 
right? There's a movie. We talk a lot about it. Here's, this is funny. This is only in, uh, in Re- Revelation in one time. <laughs> Yet it's like the word that comes to mind for many of us, the great battle, the great war, Armageddon. And there's all this stuff that's really fun and really cool. It's actually, that's the Greek translation of a Hebrew um, phrase, uh, tell uh, Megiddo, or like the Mount of Megiddo. Edo, there's an actual place in Israel, and, and it's this big plain. It's actually not a mountain. It's a big plain, but you can imagine a big fight happening there. And as it goes on here, and it talks about all, the, all those who have aligned with the beast, all right, all the powers in like Babylon, who we'll get to Babylon next week a lot, and, um, but all, which is imagery again, all the powers, all the unseen spiritual realm, all the seen spiritual realm. There's going to be this big battle. But here's what's so cool. I love this, okay? This sixth bowl of God's wrath is not really like a judgment. I just, there's something wrong with me, by the way. But I just love the imagery of God in his power just flexing and just being like, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to dry up the river, the great Euphrates, that in many ways was a protection from God's people that kept certain armies and militaries at the time at bay. And there was this idea of, oh, thank God we have this river. If it was ever dried up, then people could come and just come and defeat us. Well, God says, yeah, there are other powers. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to dry up whatever's holding them so they can come to me. I will fight them. And, And I don't want there to be any excuse that there was any, that I had the, the, the cards stacked in my favor, other than the fact that I alone am eternal, and I am God, and I am the creator, and I have all power. So in this judgment, again, there's something kind of wrong with me, but God is like, I'll dry it up. So all you bring all your friends, oh b- beast, right? You'll see this isn't a fair fight, but whoever aligns with you, whatever powers are out there, they can come too. Okay, I got a little bit too excited about that, but it's exciting. When the bully gets just fully exposed and our good, right, our good protector, who's actually a gracious, merciful lamb. Well, when he deals with the bully, it's exciting. And then the seventh bowl, there's swift and decisive judgment. Again, the air is infected and affected. All of a sudden, like, there are earthquakes, there's lightning, and then thunder, and then thunder, and then lightning, and it's just confusing and disorienting, and all kinds of natural disasters are happening, and God is saying, this is a part of my judgment, and I'm I'm swiftly and decisively uh, just flexing and exercising my authority. Let me just read here verse 17. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, it is done. Now, again, let me just ask the question as we kind of land the plane here together, which I also forgot to bring my watch with me. Okay, uh, so I don't know where we're at time-wise. You with me? All right, let's just kind of bring it down here and just be honest, right? There's a lot of judgment, a lot of wrath. There was a worship scene that said, God, you're just and you're good with your wrath. 
You're making things right. You're, 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 you're taking care of evil. But now how is that connected to a worship scene, which is what is happening in chapter 15? Again, we've seen this worship scene before. That was, that was hard to say, I think, for anyone, not just if you have a cutter, right? This worship scene that we've seen before where there are, like, creatures, like you would see a statue, right, a big beast, but they're actually alive. And then there are, there are angels, these, these warriors of light, and then there are these people who have faithfully followed Jesus, even to the point of death, these martyrs who are a part of this worship scene too. And it's been happening ever since Jesus ascended, ever since Jesus rose from the dead 2,000 years ago, until he returns, there's been this worship scene. So right now, while we're worshiping, by the way, we're participating in an ongoing worship scene. All right, when we're trying to clap, we're joining with this incredible, rhythmic, perfect, good, beautiful declaration of who God is and what he's doing. So again, how is that like connected to God's wrath, to these pouring out these bowls of God's judgment? Let me just read a few verses from chapter 15, and then we'll kind of make some sense of it and bring it home. In verses 1 through 3, and then also verse 8. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last. Okay, these are the last, the seals, the trumpets. Finally. For with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name. Again, those who align with standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. So this beautiful image where God's thrown in this sea that's also on fire. It's just incredible. Again, hopefully our imaginations are stoked. And also those who had conquered the beast. No, sorry, down in verse 3 now. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. And then down in verse 8. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. That song of Moses in verse 3 is important. If you can go back there for a moment. In verse 3, they sang the song of Moses. I don't know if you've done this. I I needed help connecting it, but all these things, all these judgments, all these bowls of God's wrath are, are reflective of the plagues on Egypt. That, 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 that a couple thousand years before Israel, all right, or a couple thousand years before Jesus even, which about a thousand years before that was King David. And again, about a thousand years before that, right, you have Moses and their exodus out of Egypt and all this, this, whole, this whole time of, of God. They were under oppression. They were under rule. There was, there was Pharaoh. What's the... Disney movie called? Keith, of course, you're our Disney expert. Just kidding. He does not like that label, but 
Prince of Egypt, thank you. Oh, it's Desiree's the real one. The Oz behind the curtain, the wizard. No, okay, Prince of Egypt, right? If you've ever seen that movie, you should see it. It's good, it's helpful. It's not all, you know, accurate or whatever. But you get this idea. Well, in that is Pharaoh is all powerful. And God's people, those who align with him, those who are trusting him, those who are seeking to be faithful, are enslaved or captive. And God sets them free. And he does it by using these plagues. Again, that Pharaoh thought he was the, the, in, in control. He was God. He was God on earth. God in the flesh. And God just, again, flexed and exercises power, said, let my people go. And he, and he swiftly and decisively set his people free. But it wasn't permanent. Because there was still a distance between God and his people, even this language. Sorry, you're, I'm keeping you active here. If you can go over and out of verse 8. Thank you. Got the thumbs up. In verse 8, right, the sanctuary is filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary. This was true all throughout the Old Testament, this imagery when God would, when God would, would, would make a way and would, 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 would deal with the sins of his people. Smoke would come and fire and he would accept the sacrifice that they gave, but it was never lasting. And you couldn't get too close to God because God is all powerful. Again, uh, go back to that story, my dad walking out and just being like, things aren't the way they're supposed to be. If someone's powerful, right, there's a, there's a distance. I don't see him. I can't know him. I can't interact with him, but I'm angry. I'm afraid. Or if he is powerful, he's not good. But in this passage, as our imaginations are stoked, as we join with people all throughout, calling out, what's the way? What's the answer? How is evil going to be dealt with? How is this chasm between God and humanity ever going to be dealt with? And God says, once his judgment is fully and finally poured out and it is finished. And that language is popped up all throughout here. And it would stoke followers of Jesus's imagination to remember that that chasm between God and man has already been dealt with. That when Jesus hung on the cross, he said, it is finished. The debt has been paid in full. All of, the, all of the right and good judgment on evil is dealt with as Jesus substituted himself for you and for me. Let me just keep going there. For anyone who has exercised any kind of evil or atrocity in thought, in word, or in action, any kind of group that we want to put in a whole different category, no. Anyone who now comes under the covering of Jesus, the debt has been paid in and through Jesus. As Jenny said at the beginning, no sin is too great. No sin is too small. It needs and it will be dealt with. And through Jesus, it has been dealt with. God shows his love. He's all-powerful. I think we've seen that today. 
He's also all good. He shows his love in that while we're sinners, Christ died for us. He says, okay, look, look at me here as we close. I want you to hear this. He says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's how God's wrath is connected to worship and comfort and hope only in and through the person and work of Jesus. Today is the day of salvation. How will you respond to this good news of Jesus? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are all-powerful. We saw it in your life on earth. You walked on water. You healed sickness. You authoritatively and powerfully cast out demons. And yet you are so, so good. You gave yourself for us. You made a way. So I pray now that by your spirit, you help us to appropriately respond to your power and your goodness. In your name we pray, amen.